It's time to expose frauds based on limited info and pure mob mentality. Imposters? Among us? We'll see who is for real and who isn't. I'm your host Adib, and this is Unbaffled. Bitch, I did it, I made it, I'm loved and I'm hated. I started from the bottom, now my neighborhood is gated. They say drink to your accomplishments. So Welcome to the seventh episode of Unbaffled. The one and only podcast dedicated to breaking down the ins and outs of the badass fantasy football league. On today's show, we're recapping another week of baffle action, highlighting all the scores from week eight before jumping into a couple of trades and the waiver wire. And then, of course, week nine matchups. I get the sense that Corey and Devin are pretty fired up this week as they're going to set the record straight and let y'all know how they really feel about how things are playing out in the league this year. Let's get to the week eight scoreboard. Starting with last week's matchup of the week. Okay, okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. I have a very important message that I need to share with you guys. I received a goodwill statement regarding the Sith Lords versus Street Sharks matchup last week. So here it is. Dear podcast boys, it is with great importance that I send you this statement. (laughs) I am writing to you on this day to raise awareness over my goodwill standing agreement with the Street Sharks. I must flag this goodwill as you prepare your remarks on our matchup and ask that you refrain from stating any of the following during the podcast. 1. Do not state that this was one of, if not the largest point differential in a baffle matchup this year. 2. Do not highlight that the almighty <laughs> do not highlight that the almighty Sith Lords would have beat the Street Sharks even without Dalvin Cook's 47 points. <laughs> Number three, stay silent on the fact that in beating the Street Sharks, I, GM Tyler, knocked GM Sheehan out of Survivor Pool. No need to twist the knife regardless of the goodwill agreement. (laughs) Number four, please refrain from mentioning his zero remaining waiver wire dollars. (laughs) And number five, please pretend that GM Sheehan's trade for Tyler Lockett to defeat me did not fail miserably. (laughs) GM Sheen is a very capable GM and I wish him many victories in the remaining matchups this season. Best regards, your favorite league manager, Nicholas J. Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) That was excellent. Yeah, the sportsmanship and respect that Nicholas J. Tyler shows the rest of the league is is remarkable. He's just probably the kindest GM out there. So what do you think? Do you think I can do the scoreboard now? I think so, yeah. (laughs) Please proceed. (laughs) So like I was saying, let's start with last week's matchup of the week. The Sith Lords beat the Street Sharks 135-87. The Nordiques beat the Mustache Mystics 113-91. The Band-Aids pulled off their second win in a row, beating the Edgar Broskis 103-87. The McFars beat the Magikarps 112-67. The Bank Robbers beat the Big Guys 98-68. The Dog Pound beat the Parole Models 106-101. And finally, we have to go to decimals for this one, as the Farhaven fuckboys eked out the win against Brokeback Belleville, 89.4 to 88.8. And that's the Week 8 scoreboard. So before we get to our topic of the day, let's talk about the waiver wire. The two big moves were the Nordiques letting the dollars fly with $20 on Jordan Wilkins, and the fuckboys with $18 on Matt Breda. As Devin prayed for last week, Logan Thomas finds a new home with the McFarves for $11, and broke back Belleville added Marvin Jones for eight. Finally, you two goofs placed matching $5 bids to acquire defenses. Corey, you picked up Washington, and Devin picking up Seattle. And there were a couple of other smaller additions. Anything you guys want to talk about on the waiver wire? I'm proud that James got off his wallet a little bit. 
but $20 is pretty steep for a guy who might not get another carry this year. Everything I was reading was this was purely because Jonathan Taylor was banged up during the game and they kind of wanted to rest him. That's all I have to say on it. I think my $18 bid on Brita was mostly just to block AJ, so it's even more funny that I paid exactly $1 more than he did. The only two people that put a bid in, and it was just $1 more. My original bid was $18, then I switched it down to $16, and then I switched it back to $18 before I went to bed. Just to touch on the Brita thing, what a strategic move by the fuckboys. Because not only do you get to play him now, you keep Gus Edwards in, in the Band-Aids lineup, which I can't imagine will go great for AJ. Guys, I, I just realized it, it finally happened. Dernis Johnson, the $100 man, got released. <laughs> yeah, he's gone, man. <laughs> $100 man is gone. He's gone. He's finally back on the waiver wire for one I, of us with Fab left to take. That no one would actually spend Fab on. Do the quick math here. He's got two... He got Pearson 6.1 points in the four weeks he was on his roster for $100. So, <laughs> And so I don't sick, think he, man. maybe he played him one of those games. Talk about a great investment. Let's talk about trades. Literally, right as we were getting to publish last week's episode, we had a couple of jerks ruin our matchup previews by making a couple of trades. Corey sent Todd Gurley, Brian Hill, Christian Kirk, and the first rounder he got from Nick to Noel. For Justin Jefferson, Wayne Gallman Jr., Miles Sanders, and a third and fourth round pick. And then almost right after that, AJ sent Tyler Lockett and a third round pick he had from Colin to Sheehan's Street Sharks in exchange for TJ Hawkinson and a first round pick. There's one more trade that went down in the league, and that was Nick sending $7 of his acquisition budget to the bank robbers in exchange for Alexander Madison. Just about five minutes ago, we had a couple more jerks in our league. Bobby waited until we started recording to trade Carson Wentz and a third to the McFars for Justin Herbert, a sixth and an eighth. So what do you guys think of the trades? Where do you want to start? Well, the Justin Herbert one was a solid trade. I think Jamie has depth in Stafford and Bobby had Cam Newton on his roster. So it kind of makes it obvious. And I guess a third round pick is fine. I think that's good value for Herbert. Putting up pretty decent fantasy numbers. So no, good on Bobby. I think that was his largest weakness. I think it's a great move for Bobby. Cam Newton shows more and more every week that he's washed up. And even though he has the Jets, Justin Herbert looks like the real deal. So it's a great addition for him to compete this year. Another trade I want to talk about, I think, is Corey's Todd Gurley trade. Short term, whatever, but long term is a great move for Corey. He needed a keeper running back that I just don't think Todd Gurley was. The price was reasonable. He had an extra first round pick so he could afford to give one away. And he got a third and fourth round pick back. It's good value. Yeah, I think you kind of summed up my thought process. Obviously, I've been shopping around for a running back keeper to sort of pair with Michael Thomas as a wideout. I think it became like increasingly clear to me that having like a good running back that you can keep year to year is extremely valuable in this league, especially uh, the way these drafts run. I was stuck picking running backs with my first three picks this year, and I had two in the first round. So I grabbed Gurley, I grabbed Akers, and then I grabbed Antonio Gibson. <laughs> you know what I mean? With my first three picks this season. So I think it came clear to me that I needed a keeper so I could kind of balance my roster heading into the draft uh, next year. I feel good about the trade, and, and Noel gets, you know, Gurley and, and uh, Kirk 
Yeah, I don't have much to add. I think it's a good trade for both people, especially like Noel is in the position where he can maintain, you know, his his ability to compete this year. Plus, he's got that draft capital. Yeah, I mean, he could flip it for more parts too if he really wanted to. And then finally, we can stop hearing from Corey about all the trade offers that he's giving to people and how they keep turning him down. <laughs> he, he finally got the one yes that he was looking for. So yeah. now he can he can rest easy. Now I can shut up. At first, it was Michael Thomas's injury, and then it was the trades. I wonder what I'll yeah. complain about next. And while we're talking trades, this is probably a good time to remind our listeners that the trade deadline is coming up for this year on November 14th. And with the deadline coming up, Corey and Devin are going to talk contenders and pretenders. Why don't we start at the top? You know, Jameson at the top of the league, I think it's pretty obvious that he's a legitimate contender. If we've been doing this podcast for years, we probably have said that every single year. He always seems to be in the mix. This year, he's averaging 116 points a week. And top to bottom, I'd say he's got high-end talent at basically every important position. I was looking at scoring based on like games played, like average out across games played. His wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Adam Thielen are two and three in the league. His running backs in Henry and Hunt are four and number 16. And then obviously he's got Kelsey, which is a stud tight end. The only thing I worry about a little bit is his depth. And I feel like every time we talk about James, we bring up the depth. Up until the waivers, he was starting both Titans running backs, Jeremy McNichols, who I think has like one point all year. But as we previously touched on, he did spend some cash on Jordan Wilkins. So I I think he's hoping Wilkins will, I guess, just get him by this bye week. If we're talking James and we're talking about a potential move here, his his team is, is dangerous enough that he could probably stand pat. You know, he has Drew Brees as his as his quarterback. I think a sneaky move might be upgrading him. Brees has had a handful of 20-plus point games, but if I were James, I'm not overly confident trotting him out every single week. I think maybe on some of the better matchups. I think James is obviously cheap that he doesn't want to throw a ton of draft picks for like a better running back. So I'm thinking he could target a quarterback and he could target probably Aaron Rodgers is the only one that's like a hands-down upgrade over Drew Brees at the moment. And he's got a great playoff schedule. The one thing I'm wondering is how Hunt will do when Chubb is back. But also Hunt was really good with Chubb. So that'll probably just work out because running backs work out for James. On to Noel. Let's talk about Noel here, sitting in second place. He's an obvious contender. He's got a 6-2 and two record with his eyes on the playoffs. When healthy, I think it's a pretty lethal lineup. He's got a top 5 or 10 player at each skill position. More importantly, nice depth at uh, running back. Where it gets questionable for me is tight end. Uh, he has two streaming options currently on his roster with Trey Burton and Eric Ebron. As I said last week, he just plugs one in and kind of prays for a TD. So to get to the title, I think Noel needs to add a receiver. Currently, he's got Calvin Ridley, who's a stud, DJ Moore, and Christian Kirk. Moore has a TD in two games this year. Kirk has four touchdowns on seven catches in the last two games. So I'm not sure that one's sustainable. And I think the Mystics stay pretty quiet at the deadline, given their monster trade with yours truly. Thank you very much, Nauta Bernardale. And his trade with uh, my colleague from the Magic Carps to acquire Kyler Murray. So I don't see him trading any more draft capital. After his first two selections, which are both in the first round, he doesn't pick again until the fourth. So I don't think he has that much to sort of play with. 
maybe he looks to the band-aids and for another kind of boomer bus guy like if he could swap kirk with rieger or fulgum based on matchups so that's kind of my assessment of, of noel yeah i think a lot of the contenders that we're going to go through today have already made moves i think you know i was pretty preemptive in trying to get the trade market going before everyone else could swoop in a lot of second round picks are already gone do people want to move these guys for you know third round picks remains to be seen all right, let's talk about the next team. Bobby, at the start of the year, got that commissioner role of good luck when he snagged James Robinson before any of us even knew he existed. That and his running back position as a whole, even with McCaffrey being injured the majority of the year, has probably been his workhorses. When they're healthy and chugging along, he's probably averaging close to 120 points. Uh, and when they don't show up, as we've seen a couple weeks, he, he puts up complete stinkers in the form of 68 points. So he's got a pretty inconsistent roster, but they can score just a ton of points. He's definitely in the contender category, but I think he needs his, his team to get healthy. Obviously, McCaffrey is the biggest piece to his whole team, but I think a guy like Debo on San Fran is kind of like a sneaky weapon X that he could he could roll out. That guy is just so explosive that any given week, it gives a chance for for huge numbers. I was going to point out that, you know, his roster is pretty solid and he doesn't have a ton of draft capital. And I was going to mention how Cam Newton was his glaring weakness, but we've mentioned he kind of swooped in and poo-pooed on my, all my analysis. I already said I agree with the trade. It was a good trade to acquire Justin Herbert. If he's got any plans of, of competing again this year, he needed to upgrade his quarterback. It kind of handcuffs him for the draft next year, but I mean, that's the price for trying to repeat as champion. I don't know that there's a team that can go as high-powered as McCaffrey, Robinson, Hopkins. So I think he jumped into that real contender status with that move to get Herbert. Hey, how frustrating is it going to be when Justin Herbert throws like a 50-yard touchdown to Mike Williams and you're playing against him? Like, that's just completely heartbreaking, especially to Mike Williams of all people. (laughs) Like, you expect DeAndre, you expect his other guys to go off, but then it's like Mike Williams in a flash is going to put up like a 12-pointer play, and you're just going to be like, fucking kill me. Yeah, now this guy's like stacking chargers. You guys want to talk about Sheen's team? Let's do it. Always. All right. I struggled hard with this one. I was flip-flopping back and forth, but I think I've settled on contender, and, and I'll tell you why. Prior to all these injuries, this team was my favorite for the championship. Now sitting in fourth with a 5-3 and three record after a two-game losing streak, there's numerous teams on their heels. The non-contenders are somehow starting to creep up the standings. But if these Street Sharks can manage to squeak out one more win before a Chubb return, I think that locks him into a playoff spot given his points for in the case of a tiebreak. I don't buy the rumors that Devin is selling everything. I don't buy one bit. If they can get healthy going into the playoffs, look out. With Kittle basically done for the year, I'm thinking he goes the streaming route at tight end, unless he can land for sure points somewhere, but that's only two or three guys this season. The tight end position is such a wash that you're better off just streaming, and it's not going to be the reason you lose every week. So in order to get to the ship, what I think Sheehan needs to do is trade for a running back. Or at least to handcuff Henderson, hint, hint. Carson, <laughs> Carson is a stud, uh, but we don't know how slow Chubb's integration will be when he returns, right? Like, it, it, I don't know, like, when you have a guy like Hunt, it's difficult to gauge how they'll use Chubb when he comes back. Like, are they going to ease him in? Are they going to bring him in full-blown? Like, what's their plan? Do they want to save him for potentially playoffs? We don't know. And running backs are hard to find, especially in this league. And the bottom-feeding teams are surely going to hang a high price on the running backs that are available to help them avoid chomps. I agree with you there. 
what is he throwing around for a running back? He doesn't have a first or second. Does he have a third? I don't think he's got a ton of draft picks to throw away. I guess you're right. I don't know. I look at, could you move Kittle? He's done for the season. He has enough guys that he can keep. Do you move Kittle to a team that's bottom feeding that could keep Kittle going into next year? I think that could happen. Just as an update, he does have uh, two third round picks. Talk about Chris's team. Alrighty. When you look at Chris's team, it's it's funny because his team is looking like the Deontay Johnson of Baffle. <laughs> now, I have I have Chris as a pretender at the moment, although his early season showing suggests that his team is a powerhouse. And a lot like Deontay Johnson, he's either putting up twenty points or he's either putting up what one catch for five yards or something like that. Or he's just injured on the sideline. Chris's team is very much like that. There are some weeks where you look at him and you're like, wow, nobody can stop this Goliath of a team. And then other times he looks like an ordinary bottom feeder. The biggest worry for me is kind of the downward trend that a lot of his players appear to be on. Jacobs had a decent game against Cleveland last week where he put up a ton of yardage. But other than that, Jacobs and Taylor, originally thought to be kind of dynasty MVPs, have struggled with their expectations or with their projected points the last couple of weeks. They're still getting like 10 points a week, and that's nothing to shrug off. I would love to have a 10-point player on my team, but when your team is supposed to be a contender and you're expecting to beat the other top teams in the league, your, your best players need to put up great numbers every week. And recently, those two guys, and then if you add in like a Josh Allen, Mark Andrews, and our boy Mike Evans, everyone seems to be incredibly streaky at this point in time. Chris has a decision to make. He can either truly believe in his team, and he could load up, flip in some of his draft capital. He could potentially make a huge splash if he really wanted to, similar to what like Noel and Corey kind of did where he could flip maybe like a Taylor who's struggling a little bit this year. I'm sure long-term he's going to be the answer, but he could get quite a bit of a haul to contend this year. The problem is uh, he's pretty risk-adverse and clearly doesn't like making a ton of changes to his roster. He still has John Brown on his team. He's totaled eight points in the last four games and somehow (laughs) has not been dropped. Like I said, he's risk-adverse, so I don't see him trading a first-round pick. He likes the draft too much. He likes kind of being in it every single year. So I was thinking maybe like a Cooper Cup high or like a full or like a full gum or like a Jamison Crowder level of player where they're not going to cost you the moon, but they're pretty consistent. They're kind of like that tier two or tier three type of player. I think maybe that's more his cup of tea, although he kind of scoffed at us talking about Mike Evans in a poor light. I imagine that's the route he's going to want to go rather than looking at trading one of his younger guys for for like a bigger impact. We talked Devin trading Kittle could result in a package with players and picks. I don't think he really wants to do that with with Taylor. That's the route I think he takes. At the end of the day, it all depends on how he views his team. And and like he's a pretty confident boy right now. Like last week, it was a bit of a nail biter, but he's very high on his team. I wanted to mention quarterback. Part of it was like the other two guys I talked about in James and Bobby. I also had them on quarterback. So I was like, Jesus, Devin, can you? come up with some original content but with Josh Allen I feel like yeah his yardage this year I think is what propelled him to kind of be in the MVP conversation he is valuable because of his legs and I don't feel like that has been as consistent this year so when he's playing better defenses I find he often needs to improvise a little bit more and now I hope no one's like checking stats 
against how he performs against better defenses to completely shit on me in the chat. Just because he's playing a Pittsburgh who has a high-end defense doesn't mean that he can't put up 25 points because all it takes is a couple of scrambles. Next thing you know, he's rushing for 80 yards and maybe a rushing touchdown too. The nice thing about him is like he should be putting up a ton of points in a variety of different manners, but that team is just kind of like in a downward spiral, like his fantasy team. I totally agree with your analysis of the team. I look down, up and down the lineup, and there's some guys on the bench where I'm like, why are you even on a team? Let's move on to a deep here. Uh, you know what I'm going to say, and I've been saying it all along. Pretenders. <laughs> These guys are absolute frauds. They're trash. I, like a three-game losing streak has hit the parole models. They're sliding them from the top of the standings all the way to sixth. He's sitting at five and three now on the year. He's got no reliable wide receivers. He has two starting running backs, but one of them's on the IR. He has no reliable tight end. Luckily for him, he's got Patrick Mahomes. Antonio Brown, hopefully for his sake. That could be the pickup of the season if things go well. I really don't know what Adib's goals are for this year, but if I'm Adib, I'm just hoping that I'm making the playoffs at this point. <laughs> like, I think the piece that you need, Adib, is a more reliable running back, and I know I've said that a couple times. In that regard, I think it's more likely that you get a wideout given how the market's shaping up in the league. You're really going to have to work the waiver wire profusely, I think, until the end of the year. And I think if I was going to try and pry a wideout from somebody, I might be calling Brent to see if maybe you can, I know Galladay's hurt, but you know, he might come back in a week or two. Maybe you pry him off of, uh, off of broke back, but I think you're definitely a pretender. I think <laughs> you're going to have to run that waiver wire even more profusely than you have been. And that's going to be your saving grace if uh, you sneak into the playoffs. But if you don't, that'll hopefully keep you out of the fishbowl. Listen. With you and Brent around, I'm not worried about the fishbowl at all, okay? First of all. <laughs> Second of all, I cannot counter anything else you've said about my team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're right. I have no clue either. You don't know what to do with my team. I don't know what to do with my team. And the one other thing I'll say, though, is how dare you besmirch the name of Robert Tunyon, you <laughs> asshole. All right, let's talk about Colin here. So here on Unbaffled, we have been claiming that Colin's team is back baby. I told you the Colomir dog pound was back baby. For a couple of weeks now. (laughs) He's rattled off back-to-back wins against playoff teams, including dropping 151 against the Street Sharks. Fucking race call. This guy is a a no-brainer contender, and he's absolutely stacked at wide receiver with Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown. I'm worried a little bit about his RB situation. You know, he's got a threesome of backs that are all serviceable in Zeke, Montgomery and David Johnson, but they all come with some major question marks. So if I were in Boyle's shoes and we're talking trade, I would maybe think about shopping Zeke around, not as a like a buy low candidate, like you don't have to get rid of this guy. He's probably still going to put up a decent amount of points every so often, get a touchdown and some receiving yards. He's definitely like a high end keeper for the next couple of years, and that could get him a decent haul and, you know, like a slew, maybe like a running back and a flex play and a pick or something like that. So he has other viable keepers, so it's not like he's going to be handcuffing himself by selling out Zeke, so it's like he could contend this year, and he could upgrade his draft capital for next year. However, I, we all know Boyle. I could see him taking a more conservative approach, maybe looking at adding a wideout. It was weird. He traded Keenan Allen. Now I'm saying let's flip that around and go for like a Keenan Allen type of guy, uh, just to provide some flexibility on matchups and everything, especially if things get uglier instead of better with Zeke. 
Oh, on to Jamie. Oh, the McFarves. How I love the McFarves. Coming off a two-game win streak, they are 4-4 four and four and every bit of a pretender. <laughs> Sitting in the last playoff spot in eighth, all I see is depth players. Outside of Hill and one of, if not the top defense, the McFarves are rolling Robbie Anderson, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, JD McKissick, Devin Singletary, etc, etc. All these guys that have shared roles. And if he can improve at one of the positions, I'll think he'll take the opportunity to do so. And I think he needs to call the GMs who have the committee members of which his players are a part of, especially the teams that are in the thick of the championship race. Like I'd be picking up the phone and calling the Mystics with Edwards Alaire, call the bank robbers with Lindsay, and see if you can grab some more reliable points to stay in the playoff hunt and out of the fishbowl. I think he has enough depth where he can trade away some of his guys for picks um, to set himself up nicely for the draft, which he just did before we started recording with Herbert. He can still trade some away and also put up like a respectable enough lineup to stay out of the Chomps championship uh, battle. Let's keep this train moving and, uh, and talk about the Sith Lord. So after a huge win during rivalry week, Nick is slowly starting to creep up the standings ladder. He has a decently easy schedule, including games against our fuckboys and the big guys. So basically a couple walkovers. He's in a, he's in a strange position, mostly due to like kind of matchup luck. And obviously giving up, you know, the largest or second largest points against week after week. But I think this guy can certainly contend for the trophy this year. He already made a huge splash acquiring Julio Jones for a first round pick. In addition, he's also traded his fifth and sixth pick. So he doesn't have a ton of wiggle room. However, I think he is in a position where unless he completely sells out, including like flipping his 2022 first round pick, if we're allowed to do that, he can't really upgrade his roster a whole lot. I don't think he has the best roster. I think that's far from it. But unless he is trading for a complete stud, I don't know if there's an appetite out there to really upgrade on a Connors or Rojo or Tyler Boyd. Like all of those guys are, are good, solid options. And you're just going to give yourself a headache if you bring in kind of like what, like a Ravi Anderson or a Miles Gaskin. I know he's hurt, but like that type of player, you just add to the mix. My trade advice to Nick is probably to hold on, enjoy the ride, and I'm sure you're likely to get bounced in the first round, but like maybe Cook <laughs> will continue to put up 40 burgers and can take you to the promised land. Do you guys smell that? It smells like shit. <laughs> it's coming from Aquarium Avenue. <laughs> Home of the Magikarps. Adib, put some violin music on when you're editing this sad, sad story, okay? After the Magic Carp's fire sale of every good player they have, it's no wonder this team is a goldfish contender. When Eckler comes back, he may be able to squeeze out another win for... He might be able to squeeze out another win for you. I, I don't know, but somewhere you need to find one. And it's officially Chase Edmonds season, so who knows. But personally, I think it's going to be raining over Aquarium Avenue for the rest of the year. I think the Magic Carp's uh, heading into the trade deadline are going to continue to sell if they can. I'm expecting Cooper Cup, maybe uh, the Broskis, uh, give him a little dingle <laughs> to get the most interest this week. Or a very needy running back team could come calling on Edmonds. I think he's a nice plug-and-play piece, especially for this week and while Drake's out. That's kind of my take on, on where the Magic Carps are out. It's a sad story. It smells like shit on Aquarium Avenue. It's interesting. So since we're going in from like the top teams to the shittier teams, like you're under me, so I'm going to talk about you now. The trade king, we'll call him. He's had a busy 2020 season. I think he's traded with, fuck, almost everyone in the single league. He's getting around. He's kind of in a no-man zone right now. Um, I, if I have to put him in a category, it's definitely goldfish more than anything else. Although I think he's probably going to end up in like that 9-10 spot. 
so he's completely irrelevant. That's right. He doesn't he have, yeah, he doesn't have the toughest schedule moving forward, but he's also starting Devontae Freeman and Joshua Kelly every week. I think Corey is, is probably, after that trade with Noel, happy with his keeper situation. Uh, he's got Michael Thomas. He's got Miles Sanders. So there's not a ton of incentive for him to make any boom trade. He also doesn't really care about giving up draft capital to upgrade his current lineup. So maybe at most I could see him shipping out like Stefan Diggs if someone was smart enough to call him on that. Or there's always Jamison Crowder, as we mentioned before, if he suddenly becomes healthy. If I get to make a projection, which will probably go horribly wrong. I say Corey stands pat at the deadline, happy with his future. He's now trying to not get murdered by Chanel by bringing Chomps home. Although for the record, she's probably not that upset because she's envisioning like a refresh for one of her rooms in his room. <laughs> I'm playing her that clip, you asshole. <laughs> she's coming for you and not the me. Refresh. She's coming for you and not me. Yeah. Bring the violin music back so I can talk about Pearson. My God, like... If this team is not in the fishbowl, it's a travesty. We are all getting duped and hustled twice over. This team is like the 2010 version of Khloe Kardashian and somehow looks like the 2020 version. It's unbelievable. Like I think Cooks, Judy, and Lamar are his only trade assets. He could trade some more draft capital. That's not his style though. It's probably his only hope of not landing the fish, though. If he doesn't trade his draft capital to get some pieces, he's probably landing the fish. He has no fab to work the waiver wire, so I expect a bit of a quiet week as he desperately tries to sneak a win uh, this week against the Magic Carps. And if he can manage to do that, he might just very well stay out of the fishbowl. And that is scary for us folks that are sitting in the basement of this league right now. Lamar is a big name but if you look at the points he's actually putting up like he's what like the 20th ranked quarterback i know i'm saying that now so he's gonna put up a home run against me this week but like he fucking sucks this year let's keep on moving we're gonna talk about aj and i think i can keep this one very short aj's team sucks (laughs) he's traded away locket gaskin is injured he can't even pull up his pants to get brita on his team by the grace of god he's won two weeks in a row which keeps him out of the basement There's not a whole lot there. I mean, like, Gibson is a likely keeper. Outside of that, the question now is, like, how much does Jen not want the goldfish? Because if AJ doesn't care, I think he can move out, like, a Rogers. He can move out Fulgham. He can get maybe Cooper even, so he can get decent value. He can maybe stock up if he needs more draft picks. But I also completely understand if he's terrified of the goldfish and of Jen, so he just stands pat and hopes that he can beat Brent Pearson or myself in the Chomps Bowl. Uh, there's also a part of me wondering if he sends a package, like including a first round pick and something like that, to try and help boil out on a playoff run. Maybe that's the Zeke trade there. Maybe he can wrestle Zeke out of Colomir. Ooh, that's an interesting one, actually. So that All leaves right. one team left. Yeah, sad old Belleville heading straight for the goldfish. There's just no other way to say it. He's been hit with some intense bad luck this year, and it doesn't seem to be letting up. It started with his keepers. Kenny Galladay has been battling injuries all year. Kenyon Drake being a top 10 back was the biggest sonk ever. I think he's got enough depth that running back and wide receiver to ship one to a contender for a pick or two to help him help him in 2021. He's got enough fab to hop on an injury if one happens and that can help his team out in the fish bracket. So I think he'll be pretty active, like working the phones and stuff. It'll just be a matter if he can get something done before the deadline. That kind of takes us through the pretenders and contenders. Let's move to the week nine matchups. Let me start with Colin and James. 
So the final two players to play in this matchup will be their QBs. Brady versus Breeze on a Sunday night to close it out. Someone cue Carrie Underwood here. And the Sunday night football music. This one's going to be a beauty. Let's start with James. Problem I've been saying with James's team all along, and we talked a little bit about this during the trade segment, is his depth. And it's finally coming up. One of his starting two running backs, in this case Hunt, is on a bye. And he has to throw Jordan Wilkins in there. Looking up and down the lineups, this could not be more even than it is. I hate naming all the players, but I think it's kind of worth doing throughout this matchup. I give the slight advantage with Brady over Breeze to Colin, Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown over Medcalf and Thielen. However, I do give James the advantage at tight end, obviously, with Kelsey over Cook. So I think it's going to be close within 10 points, and I'm going to go with uh, the call of me or dog pound this week. Yeah, I'm going to have to back up Corey, everything he said. I'm, I'm on Team Colomir. Derek Henry can outscore Elliott and Montgomery by himself. And I don't think that they'll even combine for 18, 20 points, maybe if you're lucky. Hi, have you heard of Devontae Adams? <laughs> True, and that is why I lost last week. But don't forget, DK Metcalf can do the exact same thing, and so can Adam Thielen. No, we, we figured it out. DK is every like even week, and then Lockett is every odd week or, or vice versa. So this week it's Lockett. It's a done deal. They do take turns. I'm going to go with the Nordiques. Let's move over and let's chat about the thrilling matchup of Corey and AJ. Before I trash both of their teams, I just wanted to point out I love the optimism and how adorable it is that Corey throws Michael Thomas in the starting lineup, even with the questionable mark. <laughs> Every week, dude. Yeah. He sees, he sees the 15 points that's projected for Michael Thomas, and it just gives him like that false confidence that he's, he desperately needs to like walk a little taller. Until, like, I don't know, he either punches someone or re-aggravates an injury and is out for the game. I can't uh-huh. tell you how true that statement is. <laughs> like, it's literally the reason why I put him in the lineup. Corey should win this week. I think that if he wants to avoid the heartbreak that is losing to AJ's team, I think, one, Thomas obviously needs to play. Not obviously, but it would definitely make the, uh, the stress a lot lower. And two, his running backs need to do literally anything. Kelly has been bad the entire season despite of what Corey says and Freeman has been okay but he's pretty banged up right now so the last thing you want to do is another repeat where you play Freeman he's not good enough to go and then they're throwing Gallman out there all over again leaving you with a 0.8 I don't know if I have to trash AJ's team anymore I, I just did it up in the in the trade section I don't need to repeat my thoughts on his starting lineup the one saving grace is that the majority of his players actually have good matchups this week so maybe the fantasy gods are able to give him a little bit of goodwill and and help him out there that being said Corey should win handily his team is a little more boom or bust than others but if his running backs can do something maybe find the end zone a few times and uh and something stupid like Gus Edwards punching in three one-yard touchdowns doesn't happen. (laughs) I I think Corey should be just fine. Yeah, I'm betting on myself this week. I have no idea what to do with this matchup. I have no idea who's going to get the points, who won't. I'm going to go with Corey. Nice. I like that. Nice little sweep (laughs) over AJ. Okay, let's move over to talk about Devin's Magic Carps and Pearson's Big Guys. It's a sad, sad story. If the world wasn't cold and cruel, uh, this would be the fishbowl. But it is cold and cruel, and that's what makes fantasy football fun, I think. So I don't really know where to start with this goat rodeo. These teams are headed in the same direction and taking completely different paths. The Magic Carps are on a skid of three games after trading everyone, and the big guys have somehow shocked the world and squeezed out two wins in a row. The Magic Carps' best players, Cooper Cup and Dallas Goddard, if that tells you anything, are on a bye. 
Claypool has a nice matchup at Dallas if he gets targeted this week. And with Drake out, he's got a starting running back with, with Chase Edmonds, uh, who should be a workhorse. Across Innis Road and down the old Trim Road Hill stands uh, the justice-dejected big guys. So both Cooks and Judy have nice matchups this week. But Lamar, Tucker, and Dobbins, the three-headed Ravens, for whatever reason, will be facing the Indianapolis defense. I think the X factor here is obvious. I think it's Chase Edmonds, and it comes down to whether he could pull it off for the Magic Carps or not. All that to say, I'm going to go and with the team that's on a bit of a win streak here versus the team that's trending downwards. So give me the big guys uh, with both teams under 70 points. <laughs> for the first time all year, I'm starting three running backs, and none of them are good. But I, I do think that Chase Edmonds doesn't get enough love even in a very limited role, like he puts up his last four games, 12 and a half, 18.9, three points, and then 18.8. Coming off a bye, now that he's kind of the featured back, I expect big things from Edmonds. Are you taking yourself? Yeah, yeah, fuck Pearson. I can't. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine okay, I take so... Pearson. Like how little confidence do mm-hmm. I have in myself? I'm counting on you to defend the honor of this podcast because if you lose this week, that makes Pearson 3-0 and against us, so I am taking the Magic Carps this week. Go get him, Pearson. <laughs> How dare you. All right, let's move on to uh, the final member of the podcast and Adib. Now, if this matchup would have happened a couple weeks ago, this probably would have been touted as a matchup of the ages. Instead, both of these teams have been struggling with our beloved parole models, marred in a three-game losing streak, and the Street Sharks losing two straight. Not sure if you guys know this, Chin's Sharks. They might have an injury or two. I'm not sure if the news has gone to you guys. Oh, I'm not man. sure if he's mentioned Didn't know that. that. Maybe yep. I'll change my pick. <laughs> Despite both of these teams trading a number of high-end picks in the recent weeks to make a run at the title, they're currently looking incredibly average. In fact, uh, a loss this week could very well see Adib slide out of the playoff picture. Despite being in first place three weeks ago, I believe. Yep. <laughs> Beautiful. Devin's team, top to bottom, looks incredibly better, anchored by almost every Seattle Seahawk except for the best one. Uh, (laughs) Having the Seahawks play the Bills is a blessing, actually, as their defense has struggled to stop literally everyone. And depending on who wins the rock, paper, scissors before the game, I could see Lockett absolutely feasting this week. If we want to look over at Adib's team, the roster is kind of like a strange mash of studs and like whatever the complete opposite of studs are. I think you're looking for bums. Yeah, just complete <laughs> fucking bums. His X-Factors, as always, and it's boring to talk about, is Kamara and Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. They can single-handedly lift a deep to a win. Outside of them, I'm interested to see how Antonio Brown figures into the Bucks' plans, and if McKinnon can somehow get over his tired legs that apparently is plaguing him, like he's not a fucking 25-year-old athletic NFL running back. I want to side... Yeah, like, how do you get tired? That's a like, sick Jesus joke, Christ. man. Yeah, I get tired legs too. Yeah. the stairs twice a day. Not good guy. I want to side with Sheehan this week. I think Adib's probably got too many question marks on his side. And Sheehan, despite his couple of injuries that I, you know, just hearing about now, he's got a pretty deep team and a juicy matchup for, for his Seattle players. So I think he should be able to take it. The fucking three-headed Seattle stack is legendary. Like, that is insane, dude. Against Buffalo, I could just be clear, I'm taking the Street Sharks against Adib's shit town models. Like, I think like, the three-headed stack is just hilarious, though. But I think if you're going to do it, put it on a high-potent offense, and Seattle is definitely that, and they get 
the very mediocre at best Buffalo Bills defense. So I, I will be taking the Street Sharks this week as well. I'm mad at my team. I'm mad at how the season started to play out. It started so well. The McKinnon tired legs thing is killing me. And I really just want Monster to come back, but I'm picking my team anyways. Because <laughs> I said I wouldn't do pick against myself. Yeah, that seems like uh, super sound logic. <laughs> okay, let's uh, move over to Belleville, Brokeback Belleville, and the McFarves. This matchup flat out stinks. As a big McFarves guy, I hate to do this for the first time, but I'm picking against them for the third time. <laughs> I just think uh, I just think Belleville finds a way to squeeze this out. The Logan Thomas carousel continues, so he's going to strap up for the McFarves this week. Jamie's starting the Pittsburgh D. They might put up 100 points against Dallas. But I think Jamie, he should be the favorite on paper, like when I look at this thing, like side-by-side comparing them. But I don't think the margin is as big as their records. And I think going to my gambling habits, Brent is due. So I'm going to back Brent and and Belleville this week. And I think it's on the broke back of a big game of Noah Fant. I'm going to pick Brent, and not for any actual logic or analysis, but just because I seem to voodoo everyone that I pick. And I want Brent to continue to be in last place to save me <laughs> from going straight to the fishbowl and ruining my life. So I'm going to go with Brent. Like Corey said, I think Pittsburgh defense might actually put up the most points in this matchup somehow. <laughs> Despite that, I don't like the running back situation for the McFarves, and I'm going to take Brokeback Belleville. How could you tell that like I got to choose what matchups everyone was doing today? Because like, I, I took all the good ones. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, know, so, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's talk about Chris and the nicest GM in the league, Nick J. Tyler. This one is another great matchup with a plethora of playoff implications. Both of them have solid teams. I think the headline here is that Nick's team is ascending at the right team, where Cosgrove's team seems to be kind of tapering off and underperforming. Granted, Cook shouldn't be going off for another 47 spot here. But the rest of the team has potentially juicy matchups that might be too much for Chris to overcome. Over on Chris's side, I think he needs to hope his big guys return to form. We mentioned Josh Allen, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor. Although all three don't have the greatest matchups, it might be tough to handle. Maybe Causer's X-Factor, other than his three good players actually being good for once, could be Deontay Johnson. He seems to flip-flop between grand slams and strikeouts. It'll be interesting to see how much offense Pittsburgh needs against the Cowboys or how much they want to shit all over them. Like, are they going to put up 45 points or are they happy with just 28 running the ball down their throat because they can? So if Kozarov wants to win, Deontay's going to have to put up like a 20 spot. The very interesting key to the entire matchup is maybe the Tampa Bay offense against New Orleans here. The Saints have been pretty leaky all year, and I'm not sure who the hell is going to get the ball from Brady. Is he going to look for Antonio Brown to get him rolling? There's Rojo. Like, how does Mike Evans rebound? I found an interesting set. The last game, which was in week one or two, I believe, when he lined up against Lattimore, which was 29 routes, Lattimore limited him to zero receptions on two targets on 29 routes. So good luck there, Evans. Yeah, Lattimore. Wow, you did some real homework there. Well, it's just because, you know, earlier on in the year when Causer was like, Mike Evans is still elite and da da da. He got all mad at me when I suggested he should be trading for a wide receiver, even though 10 weeks later we're telling him he should trade for a wide receiver. I'm. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you're not, yo, yo, you're not bothered by it, though. It's fine. No, not at all. Not at all. Scarsgrove so, hasn't scarred you. <laughs> I'm flipping the tune, and you're going to hear it here first. Nick is no longer the villain of the league. I think. 
all the goodwill that he's shown, his yeah. generosity across the league, I think he might be one of my favorite my favorite managers now. I'm going to go with him. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. And I think because the Bucks game is a Sunday nighter, Cosgrove's going to have to stay up till like 1 a.m. just watching the, that game unfold. And I don't <laughs> think it's going to be good news for him. A beloved friend of the podcast, Nicholas J. Tyler. I'm going to put my faith in the Sith Lords this week to take down the Broskis. I agree with basically your whole assessment. Tampa Bay looks to get Antonio Brown rolling this week. I don't think they look to Mike Evans. I'm going to put him under five targets for sure. That's a no-brainer for me. Is Godwin going to be back? I don't think so. If Godwin was playing, under three. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with the Sith Lords. So listen, this is an unprecedented moment. I know I have a rule. Yeah, this is going to happen. Never before in the history of Baffle has another GM stepped up and sent a letter of goodwill on behalf of a fellow GM. Such an honorable act deserves to be rewarded. (laughs) And I am going to take the Sith Lords to win. Oh my gosh. Applause. (laughs) Applause. Snaps. Stars, stars, stars for Nick. And that brings us to our matchup of the week. So these two teams have fought hard throughout the campaign so far and currently sit in second and third in the standings. On the one side, we have the bitter tyrant, our commissioner, Bobby, and his bank robbers. And on the other, the youngest member of our league, a beacon of hope and what can be with the right trade deal or a decent draft, Noel and his mustache mystics. For the second time in a week, Arizona is going to play a crucial role in deciding another important matchup. For Bobby, it's DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Parker. Arizona's playing Miami, by the way. For Noel, it's Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk. But that's not all. What happens in North Carolina is going to be a major factor too, with a running back showdown between Mike Davis and or Christian McCaffrey for the bank robbers, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire for the Mystics. And Noel has DJ Moore too. The big advantage for Bobby is in Florida, where he has James Robinson with a nice matchup against the Texans, while Noel potentially has an edge in Wisconsin, if Aaron Jones plays, that is. The good news for Bobby, obviously, is that he just made a trade earlier today, and so he no longer has to wait until Monday to watch Cam Newton fuck this up. (laughs) And so I don't think we're going to have to wait multiple days for this result. I think Bobby wraps this one up fairly easily. This matchup is so hype. I'm glad this is the matchup of the week. You did well with that, uh, Dufresne, at least. Yeah, thanks thing. for giving me no good matchups, but congrats <laughs> on congrats on absolutely nailing the matchup of the week. This one is hype. I don't know what to think about this. Right now, looking at the matchup, it's 50-50 projected. Not that that matters at all. And Noel doesn't have a defense starting. With Christian McCaffrey coming back with James Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins, it's hard to top those three. And even with Cam Newton getting Robert five points this week, which is no longer the case because he's got Herbert in there, I was going to take him anyway. So I'm going to continue to back after this trade the bank robbers this week. Boy, oh boy. So the only thing I could say about Bobby's team is like, is McCaffrey going to get the full workload? I know there were reports coming out of Carolina where they're like, look, even with him back, like Mike Davis has done a great job. Mm-hmm. So especially the first week back, I could kind of see a bit of a timeshare. I don't know if they're going to give everything to McCaffrey. I want to go Noel. Aaron Jones is going to be kind of the X factor for him. Like if he can go, I know they're going to push him to go. Like even if his calf is like 50% because all their other running backs have COVID. I don't know. I'm worried for Noel because I don't think Jones is going to be putting up a monster game. I think I got to go Bobby too. And the one thing I'll note, he has Philip Lindsay sitting there that he can just plug in for Parker. Yeah, I don't like Parker for the rest of the year, really, like without looking at his schedule or doing a whole lot of thought, but he's going to put Robert Woods in there anyway, so 
And oh, yeah. Mike Williams is his boomer bust guy. Like he can hit home runs. No, Bobby's got a good team. And that wraps up the matchup previews for week nine. If you're enjoying our content, be sure to hit the follow button on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Or if you want to find out more about our league, or like I always say, maybe just visit our boy Chomps, check out our website at baffle.ca. Join us again next week. Yay! Bitch, I did it. I made it. I'm loved and I'm hated. I started from the bottom. Now my neighborhood is gated. They say drink to your accomplishments. So every night I'm faded. Feel like every other day me and